Hey, welcome everybody around the diamond on themajors.net. I am Adam Hernandez. With me is Tony out in Sizzling, Fort Worth, Texas. What's going on, Tony? Hey, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And we've got Tip out in Pleasant, Southeast, Lower Michigan. Tip, what's going on? Adam, how you doing? How you feeling? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, definitely better than last week. Um, if you tuned in for Inside the Huddle this past Saturday, you you would have heard me kind of struggling there a little bit. But uh, today, totally better. Feeling good. I'm ready to talk some baseball since we missed last week, and uh, we pretty much uh, missed a bunch of stuff. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. Um, uh, we had our Hall of Fame inductions last week of uh, Roberto Alomar, Pat Gillick, and Burt Blylevin. Um, Pat Gillick, former uh, baseball executive for the Toronto Blue Jays, Baltimore Orioles, Seattle Mariners, Philadelphia Phillies, three-time world champion, or World Series champion, excuse me, um, in 1992, 1993, and 2008. Um, Burt Blylevin, uh, let me get his numbers up here, um, former Major League pitcher. I'm sorry, Tip, go ahead. What do you want, 287 games, I believe? Yeah, uh, let's see. Win-loss record of 287, yep, and 250. Um, earned run average of 3.31 and 3,701 strikeouts um, playing for the Minnesota Twins, Texas Rangers, Pittsburgh Pirates, Cleveland Indians, Minnesota Twins, and the California Angels, who they are called California at the time. They had, a, they had actually a, uh, they had a, a nickname and, a, and an identity that kind of made sense. Uh then we have Roberto Alomar, um, great second baseman, 300 bet career batting average, 2,724 hits, 210 home runs, 1,134 runs batted in, and 474 stolen bases. Um, spent time with the Padres, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Indians, the Mets, the White Sox, the Diamondbacks, and the White Sox. So Bly Levin and Roberto Alomar were very, very, very um, well-traveled throughout their careers, but very, very good players um, throughout their careers. And obviously so, because they made it into the, into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, which is arguably probably the most difficult um, Hall of Fame to get into um, if you uh, take you know, the four major sports, NHL, um, NBA, and the NFL. Um, but I, I, I guess I just want to get your guys's um, feeling on this Hall of Fame class because I remember I remember watching Roberto Alomar myself. Obviously, um, he was a very, very, very good second baseman. Um, I remember him during you know most of his time with uh, with the Baltimore Orioles and the in the, in the Cleveland Indians. Um, obviously, he also had that one. Uh, ugly ugly incident when he was with Baltimore when he spit in umpire John Hirschbeck's face at home plate and I believe it was after a uh um was it after he struck out yeah, I believe it was a called third strike yeah I think it was a called third strike but it was a very very ugly incident um had some weird stuff happening with him off the field after his retirement 
uh, with a formal girlfriend. You can go on. You can read about it on the internet. We're not going to get into it now. Um, but I don't. I guess I wanted to get your impressions of this of this Hall of Fame class that we have uh, that we have in Major League Baseball this year. Uh, Tip, why don't you go ahead and take it away first? Well, Purple I eleven sticks out for me because I watched him growing up. Uh, he had, in my opinion, the greatest curveball I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he's he'll always be a Minnesota twin to me. He he was drafted in nineteen sixty nine, came up as the youngest player at the time, uh, in nineteen sixty nine. And just went on to have a I don't want to say stellar career, but he just was a very consistent winner, a great pitcher. And like I said, he had a curveball that I, to this day I've still never seen anyone throw a better curveball in Purple I-11. And Roberto Alomar, arguably for 10 years, was the best second baseman in all of yeah. baseball. And uh, very divert, you know, deservedly so being put in. And Pat Gillick, I have no problem with this class at all. I think all three definitely deserve it. My only, the only person I think has been left out in the Baseball Hall of Fame in recent years in a non-player uh, category is Marvin Miller. Uh, I still to this day don't know why Marvin Miller isn't in the Baseball Hall of Fame since he, whether you liked him or hated him, he changed the game of baseball, you know, and the Kurt Flood deal and free agency and everything else. And uh, he was truly the leader of the players for, for years and years and years. And I think he probably gets ignored because basically the owners couldn't stand him for years. So hopefully one day he'll get his due. Uh, what do you think, Tony? Well, I can't disagree with uh, any of the three selections. I had the, actually the honor of watching uh, Roberto Alomar's first game in San Diego uh, back in 1988 when I was first stationed out there and uh, had a uh, great opportunity to follow his career uh, all the way to the uh, the two championships in Toronto. And ironically enough, uh, his uh, general manager at that time was uh, was Pat Gellick. Mm-hmm. Um, Bert Blyland-Levin, I'm just like, uh, you know, just on the same page as Tip is, you know, one of the best curveballs I've ever seen uh, in all you know, of all time. And just, you know, following baseball and pitchers from the 70s like I did, Blylevin uh, is one of the ones that stands out. Uh, you know, Blylevin, Ryan, Tom Stever, Steve Carlton, guys like that, uh, Gaylord Perry even, uh, just – Five pitchers that are very identifiable with the 70s. And uh, ironically enough, Burt Blylevin, and even to this day, makes light of how, how much he was traded uh, back during the uh, back during his career. In fact, Century 21 actually endorsed, uh, he did uh, commercial pitches, and uh, he gets settled in one place, get a house, all of a sudden, you know, is a simulated knock on the manager's door. Uh, he's like, hey, Skip, you want to see me? And he was uh, off to somewhere else. <laughs> I remember. I forgot about those. That's right. <laughs> one, one, uh, one guy that kind of stands out for me, and he's another uh, Minnesota Twin and Detroit Tiger, is uh, is is Jack Morris, and he still hasn't made it into the Hall of Fame yet. Um, and also a very, very, very good pitcher of the of the nineteen eighties. Um, do you guys have any? Uh, any feelings on why maybe uh, Jack Morris hasn't made it in? Uh, my opinion generally, unfortunately, writers who play in Detroit, they don't get the press they deserve. I think Jack Morris should be in, not a first ballot type player, but uh, I think eventually he should get in. Uh, I have no problem with that. The guy, he was 
you talk about a money pitcher, this guy was the money pitcher of the 80s. I believe he was also the winniest pitcher of the 80s. And, uh, he was. He, he should be in. And uh, I think, once again, it's the personality thing. He wasn't the nicest guy in the world to be around. The press wasn't that enamored with him. He was quiet. He was kind of crabby, cross, whatever you want to say. And uh, that should have absolutely nothing to do with it. But it seems to have, you know, the Hall of Fame is, uh, to a point, a little bit of a popularity contest, unfortunately. And I think that's been Jack's downfall. Tony, did you want to add anything to that? I really did, because just to bring up, uh, just to, uh, as far as go back on Tip's point about being a money pitcher, 84, 91, 92, World Series, in fact, 93 even, uh, World Series champion. Yep. You know, he was he was definitely, he was the most winningest pitcher in the 1980s. Uh, he won 198 games in, in Detroit in 14 years, had a, had a sub-4 ERA, almost 2,000 strikeouts. In his 14 years in Detroit, there should be no reason why he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And another reason why I like Jack Morris, besides being uh, basically a rookie in the class of seven, uh, 77 and 78, is the fact that he did whatever Sparky Anderson wanted him to do. He he would come on an occasion, you know, the bench might be a little bit shorthanded. They needed a, a guy in the late innings. He'd pinch run. That was just, that was Jack's M.O. You know, yep. he, he was a gritty guy. He was, he was nails on the mound and you know to win you know to win 20 games three times in his career between 77 and 94 well there should be no reason why he's not in the hall of fame yeah and he pitched arguably the greatest game in world series history when he beat atlanta one to nothing and pitched 10 innings to shut up all yep. for the minnesota twins one of the best world series games ever yeah yeah i, I that, that was game seven i believe also wasn't it yes it was. Yeah, I guess, you know, Tony, and you, you said it yourself, uh, the winningest pitcher of the 1980s, and, you know, it's, it's still not in the Hall of Fame. And then, you know, Tip, and you added that it's, uh, you know, that the Hall of Fame is very much a, uh, you know, in some, in some ways a popularity contest. I mean, I, th- I think that just about sums it up in terms of Jack Morris. Um, because I've heard those same arguments, too, against him, that uh, he wasn't the nicest guy in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, that's very well could be a big contributing factor to uh, why he isn't in the Hall of Fame, which is which is unfortunate too, and I, I think I think he'll eventually get there. It's 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 just it, I think he should have been there already. Um, and there's two other guys, and I'm not being a homer here, but there's two other guys in my opinion. Mickey Lola should be in Hall of Fame, uh, the left-handed pitcher for the Tigers in the '60s and '70s, and also uh, another guy that uh, it's amazing to me that he gets no he can't even get in now is Lou Whitaker. At the time, Joe Morgan and Lou Whitaker were the only two second basemen in baseball history to have 2,000 hits and 200 home runs, and they both played flawless second. And Morgan was the first ballot Hall of Famer, and Lou Whitaker got less than 5% of the vote, and now he can't even be considered. So it is a popularity contest, unfortunately, and it, it, to me it's a shame. Well, we're going to move right along here. Um, I want to touch on Grady Sizemore a little bit. Uh, this guy, center fielder for the, uh, for the Cleveland Indians, um, he was placed on the disabled list this um, 
What am I reading this article? This is from Friday. He was placed on the disabled list. Uh, was it? It wasn't today, was it? No, it was, I believe it was. Yeah, it was. Saturday. Yeah, it was last Monday. It was a week from. It was last week, last Monday. Um, placed on the disabled list last Monday with a bruised right knee. Um, he also had surgery for a sports hernia on Thursday. And this guy, Grady Sizemore, has just, it seems like he's never really been able to get it together this season or for the past, uh, the past couple seasons, really, um, after just, you know, just dealing with injuries. Um, this guy is, uh, you know, he just can't put together a, a consistent season where he's staying off the disabled list. And um, I don't know. What do you guys make of What do you guys make of Grady Sizemore? Because it it, it it just is is he overrated, or is he just running into a string of bad luck right now? His season numbers this year, um, he is a total of 232 at bats. He has 10 home runs with a 237 batting average. Last year he was batting 211. The year before that he was 248. Um, and then in 2008, he was at 268. Um, I'm tending to side on, on with more being Grady Sizemore being overrated. Um, Tony, why don't you take this one first? I believe it is overrated because, you know, he had the prototypical contract year. The prototypical contract year in 2008 were. He hit 268, had had a boatload of home runs, um, hit 33 homers, 90 RBIs, was 10th in the MVP voting. I mean, for three consecutive years there, he had solid seasons, 290, 277, 268, hit 28, 24, and 33 home runs, respectively, each year. Gets the brand-new contract, and what happens? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I I can't disagree. I can't disagree with that. I mean, it's. I mean, in this 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 guy's numbers speak for themselves, and you add all that on top of him not being able to stay healthy the last couple of seasons, that just makes for a very 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 bad thing for um, the Cleveland Indians, considering that this is supposed to be, um, you know, a big time center fielder for them. What do you think, Tip? I'm going to have to disagree with you guys on this. I don't think he's overrated. I think he there is bad luck there. You're talking about a guy that did have three very, very good seasons in a row, very young, great outfielder, uh, fast, good hitter with power. And ever since 2008, 2009, he's been hurt. And, you know, for whatever reason, he gets hurt a lot. Uh, and when that happens to a player, it's, it's just, you can name dozens of player guys who, when they have a bad ankle or a bad knee, uh, Ordonio, Beltran, all these guys, it, it affects their play tremendously. And when you're a speed guy uh, and you're a spark plug on a team and you're always having physical problems, that really affects your game a lot. So I, I can't I can't say he's overrated. I think I've got to lean more on the fact that he just has had bad luck and He's, it's not like he's had cheap injuries. Uh, these have been injuries that you know he have kept them out for almost an entire season. And uh, I think it's I think it's really bad luck on his point. That's too bad. It could it could wreck his career. Just as I said, he's he's not like a pitcher who can change his game. He's he's a leadoff speed guy. 
Uh, and you know, if you once you lose that, that your your game just goes downhill. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned uh, Tip. You you mentioned Carlos Beltran. I think he's probably another one of the most overrated players in uh, in baseball as well. Um, just because I mean, you got, this you got, you got injuries. I'm mean, you know I, I know the overrated terms is, is used a lot, and in some cases it's true. But when injuries are involved, I don't know where the overrated thing comes in. I mean, if you got bad knees or bad back. What are you going to do? I mean, you, it affects your play. It doesn't make you overrated. It makes you injured. I know. I, I know. But I'm, I'm, I, it's you know. I just it just seems like this guy could have been doing more even before you know the injuries because the injuries really <laughs> the injuries really crept in um, only a, only a couple years ago. Um, and, I'm losing a little here, Adam. So don't mind if I don't hear what you're saying. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, I, I was just saying that it, it seems like the injuries have only been an issue for him. I may be wrong. Um, the past few years, uh, but prior to that, I mean, he is he, he, he did he did hit a lot of home runs. Um, his batting average was a little was a little low or a little mediocre. Um, back like I said, back in two thousand eight, he was hitting two sixty eight, then two sixty or two seventy seven in two thousand seven. He had a pretty good year in um, in 05 and 06, where he's batting 289 and 290, um, then 246. That's better teams also, too. That, that, that makes a big difference. Sure, it does. Um, I don't know. I guess, I, I guess I'm weighing a little bit more on the side of being overrated than I am bad luck, um, just because of some of his numbers um, prior to I his I mean, injuries. kind of like Carlos Guillen. I'll take Carlos Guillen, for example. Look at him now. The guy's basically been out of baseball for a year. For the first time, probably in three years, he he's healthy. He looks like he's ten years younger out there right now, and he's playing great second. He's hitting the ball like he always has. He's got his legs back, and to me, it's just first time in probably four years. Carl Steen feels like he can play ball again, and hopefully for Grady Size, one of these that'll happen to him too. Anything else you want? To, any final thought on this one, Tony? No. Um... I just had run into an interesting story. Uh, you know, Grady Sizemore actually was uh, was originally a Montreal Expo uh, farmhand, and he actually got traded to uh, traded to the Indians with Cliff Lee back in 2002, along with Brandon Phillips. So yep. this actually, yeah, it goes back, and that was the whole Bartolo Colon deal that sent mm-hmm. Colon to, uh, to Montreal. Was all were all good players at some point in Major League Baseball part of the Montreal Expos? Yeah, were. <laughs> uh, I tell you, that, that was a hell of a place. To, that, that was a talent laden uh, program up there. I mean, Tony would Tony will remember that. Yeah, it's a lot of talent in Montreal. That's it's so unfortunate too. Uh, you know, Andre Dawson, uh, Larry Walker, uh, Pedro Martinez. I mean, we, the list goes on and on. Wasn't. Uh, Am I wrong, or is that where uh, the big left-hander also came from, or is that in my... Uh, Randy uh, Johnson. Yeah. Didn't Randy Johnson come from Montreal? And he, uh, he played there uh, before he uh, went to Seattle, got traded to Seattle. Yeah. That's yeah. All right, well, another thing, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and move on to our, uh, to our last topic of the night, and that is... Uh, the MLB trade deadline is quickly, quickly approaching. It's actually this Sunday, uh, July 31st. Um, 
One trade already happened, and I believe this is um, well. This is one of the more. This is one of the trades that stands out the most, and that is uh, the Tigers trading for Wilson Bediment, formerly of the Kansas City Royals. Um, this trade was interesting in the sense that um, what happened afterwards? After this trade, the Tigers ended up demoting uh, longtime third baseman Brandon Inge, longtime third baseman. Uh, fan favorite in Detroit, um, and he is one of two players from that uh, from that historical 2003 Detroit Tigers team, that infamous 2003 Detroit Tigers team, where I believe they set the uh, the American League record for losses in a season, not the Major League record, but the American League record. Um, I believe they had what was it, 119 losses that year. Um, him along with uh, with Ramon Santiago are the uh, are the two. Detroit Tigers that um, were on that team, and Ramon Santiago is actually still on the 25-man roster right now. Um, but uh, I'm I am in no way disappointed as far as Brandon Inge being demoted. Um, I thought it was definitely time. Um, I guess we, I I could only hope that somebody claims him, but I don't think they will, given his uh, his his horrendous contract. Uh, I, I just, I just, I, I, I've never been a Brandon Inch fan, and I, and that's making, and that's probably making my, uh, my outlook on him a little biased. But um, you don't, you don't hate him like Roberto Luongo, though, do you? No, I don't hate him like Roberto. Oh, Luongo. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I, and I try to clarify that before. I don't, I don't hate Roberto Luongo. I think <laughs> Roberto Luongo is a nice guy. I just, uh, I just, you know, I, I, I just think Roberto Luongo is, uh, is. Uh, is not quite the player that everybody makes him out to be, but Brandon Inge is another one of those types of players, and Brandon Inge is he—he he has way, way more value here in Detroit than he would anywhere else. Uh, yes, he did have a—he uh, did have a good glove over at third. Um, I think his glove, though, was probably a little bit elevated than what it actually was. Uh, and this season, he he lost that too. Um, you and know, that was his downfall more than anything else. Not only did he not hit, he couldn't play third uh, the way he used to. And you can't have a guy batting literally zero seventy eight and making errors at third. There's just they had no choice. They had to demote him. Absolutely, absolutely. And that and that was the thing, Tip. You have, you you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, the only thing that was really keeping him on the roster was his was his defense. And when that went, like you said. The Tigers had no choice. They had to get rid of him. They had to demote him. And I don't know if you followed it at all, Tony, this weekend, but the Tigers took three out of four from the Twins. And my complaint with the Tigers all year is that they've been a very lethargic baseball team, almost to the point, for me, some nights they were unwatchable. And this weekend was the first weekend I watched them, and they they played with some spark. Uh, they had a little uh, jump in their step, and they played damn good ball, good defensive ball, good starting pitching, good timely hitting. And... I think a lot of it had to do with, believe it or not, and I'm not blaming Brandon Inge, but I think when they finally decided to send him down to the minors, um, I think it actually took a monkey off the back of the whole clubhouse. And uh, I think they'll love Brandon and all that, but they knew something had to be done. And I think they just played with a little more, uh, like, relief almost. And I really do attribute a little of that to the fact that Brandon Inge left. And I think they just... We're glad it was over with him because I think they all felt bad collectively for him. Well, and, and I certainly understand that. You know, it, 
actually had a chance to meet uh, Brandon on a couple different occasions when he played in Jacksonville uh, when the Tigers double-A affiliate was down at Jacksonville quarterback in 2000. Uh, he was having problems with uh, strikeouts back then. Now, he's never been that great of an average pitcher. It's always been about power and originally it was about defense for Brandon, but you know, you're absolutely spot on that when it comes to this team and, and virtually it, it was positive. You, you bring in Wilson Fetterby, you got Carlos Yan that comes back. You've got two major stats in an offense that you stated was very listless all year. And now you now you're getting two major cogs in and yep. the pitching you know, once that pitching starts even solidifying even more I mean, two games out in front, maybe nothing, maybe nothing compared to where Detroit could be at in the middle of August. If right, I and, and another guy, another unsung hero on this team, and he gets very, very little credit, in my opinion, is Rick Burcello. This kid's 22 years old. He's already won 10 games. He's won four games in the month of July. Um, he, he just seems to, only time he gets pressed is if he has a bad outing, and I'm I've always been a big fan of this kid, and I'm telling you, you're talking about a 20-year-old, 22-year-old kid who's got 10 victories, and it's only halfway through the season. And uh, two out of three years, this kid's pitched very, very well. And uh, I hope one day people start realizing uh, that he is a solid, solid third starter for this team. Right. I like, I like, I like Porcello too. He's, uh, you know, it's. I don't think he's quite been what the Tigers have hoped he was going to be yet, but he is still young. What is he? He's oh, 22. Years old, Adam. 22, yeah. And, and and that's the thing, too, is I think I think, I think and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's mainly Tigers fans. I, th- I just think people need to have a little bit more patience with them. Um, people got to remember two years ago, you know, Justin Verlander went 9-17. and 17. Yes, exactly. No. Um, you know, pitchers don't generally come to their own until they're 28 years old, so you know, Tigers are patient. We have a potential another very, very good pitcher on this team for 10, 12, 13 years. Well, I think many people will actually like him for what he did to Kevin Duplass a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree, Tony. Um, and it's, it's I, I just I think Rick Porcello, he's a... Uh, he, I think he just needs to start developing a an out pitch more. Um, he doesn't quite have that yet, like Verlander does with his with that overpowering fastball that he has. Um, I just think Rick Porcello needs to needs to develop an out pitch more. Uh, you know, a pitch that he can go to when he needs to get that third strike. Um, even though he's not really a a strikeout pitcher, he's a, he's a ground ball type pitcher, but still, um, he still kind of needs that out pitch. Uh, but I, th- I think he'll be there. Um, you're right, Tip. Uh, you know, he, he still needs to come to his own. He's, he's still young. He's only 22 years old. Uh, and, I, and I think he will get there. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time. Uh, and, the only re- and one of the reasons why I think, um, you know, fans are kind of down on him is just because he's not that type of pitcher where, you know, like a Verlander who's going to go out there and overpower um, well, there's only the one battle. every generation like that. You know, oh, oh, so. sure, oh, sure, absolutely. And 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 I'm not saying he's he is Justin Verlander. He's gonna be Justin Verlander. I'm, what I'm saying is that you know, is is fans seem to be more enamored with that power type pitcher that's gonna go out there and blow and blow guys away with uh, with um, you know 
high 90s fastballs or you know triple digit fastballs i mean we saw it here in detroit with uh with joel zumaya and even before that um you know we all can remember matt anderson you know not saying that you know that fans were enamored with him but he had that you know that crazy fastball and even out in new york too when um when uh oh drawing a blank here um power pitcher for the uh for the yankees Left-hander or right-hander? No. Tony, what'd you say? Is it El Duque? No, uh, recent. Um, Why am I drawing a blank on him? Why am I? Not David Wells. No, no, no. Recent, like this season. He's been there. Phil Hughes? No, in and out of of the starting rotation. Uh, Joba. Yeah, Joba Chamberlain. Oh, Joba Chamberlain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd take Rosello any day over Joba Chamberlain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, Joe Chamberlain, I mean, he's... Porcello is, and this is, you know, people can laugh at me, and they can laugh right now, but I'm telling you, this guy reminds me of Greg Maddox. He's got that type of stuff. He's a student of the game. He's very smart for his age, and he just, he comes out and just, he's a very, very smart pitcher, and uh, I'm telling you, when he gets a little older, I really like this kid. I like his stuff. I've always thought he might have the best stuff on his staff. And I, I said that two years ago, and I got roundly criticized for it, but I think uh, it might come out one day. So. Well, I'm going to go and jump to another pitcher that's uh, that's on the trading block uh, as we speak, and that's um, Abaldo Jimenez, um, starting pitcher right now for the uh, for the Colorado Rockies. It seems like Colorado's uh, putting them out there, seeing what they could get in return, see what type of phone calls we, they can get in return. Um, Baldo Jimenez stands out after what he did uh, last season, 2010. Um, the first half of the season, he was he was phenomenal. Second half, he kind of trailed off a little bit. Um, he finished the season with a very very stellar record, still of 19 and eight, um, with a .704 winning percentage, um, a 2.88 ERA. Um, uh, let's see here, how many? Uh, how many I'm gonna go out on a limb real quick, Adam. Overrated. What? Well, I. You know I, what? I, I'm you. You look at his numbers, and I'm not. I'm not saying he's overrated. I. Uh, I'm gonna say that teams need to be cautious with uh, with Abaldo Jimenez. Um, they have to be careful what uh, what Colorado is going to be asking for in return because um, we're privy to what is happening with uh, with the Detroit Tigers right now um, since Tip and myself both live in the area. Um, I know Tony's from the area originally, but he's out in Texas right now. Uh, it seems like Ubaldo Jimenez, the Colorado Rockies, are probably going to want a top-of-the-line um, prospect in return for him. And... I'm just saying I wouldn't I, I wouldn't do it. Um, prior to last season and even this season, he's been very very mediocre to not very good at all. And I would not I would not make the deal. I don't know what Tony thinks, but I wouldn't make the deal. I, I, I would make the deal, but I, I would be careful on, on calling him uh, overrated, considering that he he is pitching in Colorado. Right. I mean. Yeah, he's he's got a he's got a three and a half ERA over his career in in basically five and a half seasons in uh, in Colorado. He's got some of the best breaking stuff probably in the National League, but 
You know, on on certain nights he's a world beater, and just certain nights he's just, you know, he just doesn't have it. it it's on or it's on or off with this guy. And, and that's what bothers me, Tony, is that to come into the American League is a different league, and I don't know if he'd be successful over here. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say bring him over right now. I, I mean, he he's probably better suited for the National League right now, and maybe looking at the American League later on. But yeah, you know, I, I would figure that uh, Jimenez would probably be. Uh, shopped around probably more towards the National League. Uh, another pitcher that is uh, that's being uh, being put out there is Jeremy Guthrie, and my only I'm wondering why anybody would want to take a chance on Jeremy Guthrie. I believe he leads the American League right now in losses. He's 14 and or he's four and 14. Um, he has a 4.33 ERA um, in 23 games. Um, 66 earned runs total. He has a whip of 1.347. Again, um, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, that a team could probably get for relatively, um, I don't want to say relatively nothing, but not as much as a guy like Abaldo Jimenez is going to demand in return. But uh, Jeremy Guthrie, it's a a little interesting. as far as teams uh, wanting to, you know, invest any time in with this guy, uh, I don't know. What, do you, Tony? What are your uh, What are your thoughts on uh, on Jeremy Guthrie? Tony. Yep. Sorry about that. I was on mute. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no cough button. You know how that goes. <laughs> um, really, uh, he, he's been the worst pitcher on the Orioles staff. Really has, uh, uh, e- even though the ERA will not tell you that, you know, even though he's had 11 quality starts out of 23 starts, still he's not, you know, no, I, I, w- I couldn't even take a chance, even fathom taking a chance on him right now. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like most teams out there are gonna, you know, you might, you might as well see what you have in the minor leagues, or, uh, you know, you might as well start. I would rather probably start on most teams my 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 long relief guy than you know waste uh, you know sacrifice prospects in order to get this guy. Um, Tip, did you want to add anything on Jeremy Guthrie? Yeah, I'm not as down on him as uh, some people are. You're talking about a guy that's young right-hander, strong. Uh, he does have 11 quality starts. Well, he's not that young. He's 32 years old. <laughs> well, he pitches in the hardest division in baseball. Uh, generally against the Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, Toronto. Uh, I don't see a lot of pitchers going to have success against both teams. But you put them on another team that um, is in a weaker division, uh, I think he'd probably be a little more relaxed and might have a little more success. Well, our last guy is uh, is Carlos Beltran. And um, the Mets started their fire sale uh, right after this past All-Star game when they dealt uh, Francisco Rodriguez to the Milwaukee Brewers. And an interesting side story with that is uh, is Francisco Rodriguez actually had the Milwaukee Brewers on his no-trade list. However, his agent never faxed that list into uh, Major League Baseball or the Players Association. So in actuality the New York Mets could have traded Francisco Rodriguez to any team they wanted to because that 
no trade list was uh, was not on file. Um, Francisco Rodriguez, though, is uh, he is fine with uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's you know he, he he didn't mind going there. The only reason why he had him on their list is because or on his list is because of Trevor Hoffman being the uh, the closer last season. Um, other than that, though, like I said, Carlos Beltran is uh, is on the block right now for uh, for the New York Mets. Um, it appears though the Rangers and the Giants are ahead of the Phillies and Braves. In pursuit of Beltran, this comes courtesy of uh, ESPN's Jerry Kranzik uh, via Twitter. Um, and those seem to be the teams that, uh, that we've been hearing uh, more of in terms of acquiring Carlos Beltran. Um, he's already said that he'd, he'd waive his, uh, his no-trade clause to go to the Red Sox as well. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a huge Carlos Beltran fan. Um, you know, it, it seems like it. It seems like he, you know he's he's performing this year just because it is a contract year for him. Um, it's going to take uh, it's going to take quite a bit for in order for teams to uh, to get this guy if they want him. Um, what are your guys' initial impressions on Carlos Beltran, though, Tony? I you know what, as far as his hitting is concerned. The only, my only concern is the fact that he hasn't he hasn't played a full season in the last two. Um, I, I think he'd be a great addition to um, uh, to anybody who's looking for a designated hitter or an extra bat. But as far you know, being in the Red Sox, being a Red Sox, he would definitely have to play the outfield, considering that you know the success that Adrian Gonzalez has had this year and the you know the resurgence of uh, of uh, David Ortiz. You know, it's going to make it a really very interesting uh, thing. And, you know, the Red Sox have got a lot of money doled out right now. And I'm, I'm not sure if the Red, uh, Boston would be exactly the best destination for them. Yeah, they, they... – go ahead. Go ahead, Tip, if you want to add anything. Um, I, I tell you what, I think he would be absolutely a perfect pickup for the Giants. Um, that's exactly what that team needs. They're starting to run away at the West, and they need another bat and – uh with their pitching, and, you know, they just have all the guys on that team right now. You put a bat in like Beltran, I think that they could, they could once again, you know, get to the World Series. I think it'd be a good pickup for the Giants. I think it'd be a perfect fit. I, I agree. I Go ahead, Tony. Giants way in height. I really think, and you, I have to agree with that. That's uh, that's a end of things that I didn't, that I didn't see. Uh, I mean, they pick up Beltron right now, and by the end of August, they could be uh, they could be far and gone away from uh, Arizona, and Colorado. Oh, I couldn't can agree with you more, Tony. This team—they're uh, getting hot. They seem to just have the confidence. Uh, they, they, this is a much better team than I ever gave, gave credit to, and I think uh, Philadelphia better be very careful because uh, they think they're going to walk to the World Series. They're going to have to go through the Giants. Yep. Speaking of Philadelphia, one more point before we uh, before we wrap it up for this week. Uh, Philadelphia is named as a as a potential landing spot for Beltran. Um, how much do you guys buy that? Because it would be a, a, a you know a, a trade within the division. Um, I guess it really wouldn't make that big of a deal, considering that. Uh, Beltran is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and there's no saying that he would end up re-signing with Philadelphia. But uh, do you think it's likely that 
the Mets deal to uh, to one of their big time rivals in the in the Philadelphia Phillies? I don't think it matters at this point because the uh, the Mets are fourteen games out of first, and it, it's just right now it's pretty much getting to the academic side of things. It's you know it's offloading time for Mets. I you know and that, and that's what I think too. Eventually, did you did you want to add anything? Tip? Yeah, I think I, I don't think the division thing has much to do with it this year with the Mets. They're broke. Uh, they're they're close to being in the same position that the Dodgers are. Um, so you know they're unloading, and uh, I don't think they—I don't think they care uh, whether it's division team or not. They—they're going to have to unload some of these big contracts. Well, other than that, we are going to have—we're uh, going to be able to recap some of this stuff next week because the trade line, the non-waiver trade deadline, would have come and gone. So uh, um, hopefully, it's a—it's uh, a pretty busy day this upcoming Sunday and leading up to Sunday as well. Um, other than that, we're going to close out this week's edition of Around the Diamond. Um, I want to thank. Uh, Tony, tip for uh, for joining us tonight. Um, you can catch us again in next week at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, right here on themajors.net. Um, other than that, you can catch uh, the Majors live tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, again, right here on themajors.net. So for tip, for Tony, I'm Adam Hernandez saying have a good rest of the week, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.